Okay, so last week we finished Filat Arvit. We were speaking about, uh, we spoke about every element of Arvit, the Chiyuv, we spoke about the Brachot, we spoke about the third parasha, uh, Yitziat Mitzrayim, Vemunak Cholzot, we spoke about Hashkivenu, and a myriad of other topics which intertwined with Arvit. Tonight I want to continue on that similar topic, which is on the Seder Halayla. And that is the prayers which are typically said uh, prior to one going to sleep. These are not uh, synagogal prayer. This is this is not communal prayer. This is definitely a private prayer. But the order of prayer which has been said, the types of tefillot which have been said by the Jewish people for the past uh, two thousand years, before they have gone to sleep, has consistently. Uh, been patterned over the Shema and the Brachav Hamapil, and therefore it is for us to do due diligence and to discover exactly what, where all of this comes from, why we say Kriyat Shema Hamita, what is the Brachav Hamapil, and what are all those other elements which are typically found in the Sidurim today what, when it has a section for Kriyat Shema Al Hamita, or what they call Seder Halayla. So originally, Krishmalamita, that whole Seder was very simple, just to, to give you a historical background. If you look at many of the earlier Sidurim, even the earliest printed ones, uh, especially the manuscripts, if they had anything about, about the Seder Halayla, they would simply say to say Krishma, the first, the first paragraph, and then the Bracha of Hamapil, and that was it. So you had one Bracha, seven or eight Psukim, and that was the entirety of the Seder Halayla, very simple. But as is typical with the passage of time, eventually there's much history to be made and a lot of uh, insertions and suggestions and pirushim. And eventually what happened was, was that it became longer than long. And you'll find uh, Sidurim, which instead of having one bracha and seven psukim, will have one bracha, a vidoy, two rabbinic shalom, l'shem yichud, six capital tehillims, you end up with hundreds of psukim, a bunch of different uh, formulas, this and that. Many of these things were added by the Mekubalim, uh in the past roughly 500 years, and the popularity of them is very difficult to gauge. So it's, it's very difficult to get a historical grasp on who says what and what the minig is of every place because these things are exceptionally private. People, people understand if they've learned Shulchan Aruch, if they've learned Mishtabura, or whatever they, they've learned, they understand the halachot, and the people who are aware of the halachot do kriyat shema or they do the bracha v'hamapil. And so the actual, uh, actually discerning what the minhag was in each place is not always so effective. We can see what the poskim told us, but the sidurim are scant. Not all of them have any insertions for seder halayla. And we don't necessarily know, based on what was written in the sidur, uh, what people actually did in that era. Just as an example, I was looking at one of the Sfarim of um, Minhagim. They were speaking about how the son of Rav Chaim Palaji was asking a question about, uh, I think it was regarding whether or not to say Berchat HaMapil with Hashem Malchut, if I'm remembering correctly. And he asked a question on those who don't, and he wasn't sure why, where would they get this from. And, um, and the other Achronim point out that his father explicitly writes that he did. And they're like, we don't know, like, why would the son be be completely contradicting his father. He's like, I've never seen someone do this. And they're like, your father didn't do it, which is really funny because uh, 
unless someone wrote down what they personally practiced, how would people know what you did before you fell asleep uh, on your bed that night? It's not really common that people witness other people's private prayers. So the minhagim here were generally going to be guided by the halacha, and it's very difficult to gauge how many people took on these insertions and additions of the mikubalim throughout the ages. But uh, be it as it may, as we'll see, the core elements of the Seder Halayla and Kriyat Shema do remain the same. And the, and the core chiyuvim, the core obligations, if you want to call it an obligation, would be for the Kriyat Shema, the first paragraph, and Hamapiel that will remain the same as we're going to see as we approach them one by one. So we're going to follow the order of the modern, uh, the, the more recent Sfaradi Sidurim, most of them following after the Beit Oved, which is printed in about 1834. Um, and we're going to follow that order. Uh, the Ashkenaz has a slightly different order. Some things it does have, some things it does, some things it doesn't. We're going to deal with all those as we get to them. So the first, tonight we're going to deal with uh, the first two parts of Kriyat Shema Lamita, which is the Ribono Shalolam and the Kriyat Shema itself. And when we continue next week, we'll touch on Hamapil, the, the history of that bracha, and we will uh, also touch upon all the other additions, like Yoshev Beseter and all of those other additions in the, uh, in the Kriyat Shema, or in this Seder. So the first thing you'll find in a, in a Svaradi Sidor on Kriyat Shema Lamita is typically, today at least, you'll find the L'Shem Yehud. That was written by the Ben Ishchai, so a lot of Sidorim will have it. It's a L'Shem Yehud before you say Kriyat Shema. It's pretty Kabbalistic in nature, um, and it speaks about Kabbalat Malchut Shamayim on every limb, how a person's accepting the yoke of Hashem's heaven on uh, the yoke of heaven on every limb before he goes to before he goes to sleep, and that's because uh, or what it says. I'm, I'm not sure if it's a very popular thing to say, but if one needs to know, it was written by the, by, by the Ben Ishchai, and it's in Parashat Pekude of the Ben Ishchai. The next thing you'll find uh, in most of the Sidurim, especially the Svaradi, is Ribono Shalolam Hareini Mochel V'Soleach L'Chol Mishahichis. This is a special uh, recital, so to speak. It's not a confession, but it's a recital where a person makes a point to forgive all of those who might have offended him in that day, or offended, or attacked, or aggressed him in any in any form or any way. So it says, uh, any person who sinned against me, ben bigufi, ben bimamoni, whether it's uh, physically or financially. Whether it's to my honor, this gets pretty loquacious. No one should, nobody should be punished for doing anything against me. It should be your will that I should not sin further. And if I did sin, I should not. You should forgive, and you shouldn't uh, give your forgiveness through pain or suffering. Now, many of most of the earlier Sidurim don't have this Reini Mochel. However, based on the writings of the Arizal. In Dushe Halayla, many of the Mikubalim added this paragraph. Because in, if you look in the end of Shara Kavanot, uh, the section on Tefillah, that is, the 
the Arizal has many long drashot called the drashot the Dushe Halayla. And in there, he speaks a lot about a lot of things, but he also uh, gives an order or a bunch of different suggestions for things to say. And the Mikubalim eventually compile those into Sidurim. So one of the earliest Sidurim you'll see that has that is actually the Sidur HaShla. From Rav Shai Levi Horowitz, he says, Ishma Piyish, this is like, this, this is the, the, what the Mikubalim say to say, and he puts in the Hareini Mochav Soleach, and then uh, the Kafachaim also puts the entire girsa, the entire Nusach for a, for a recital to say before you go to bed in order to forgive all the people before you go to sleep. Now, why? This, this makes it clear that almost 100 years after the Arizal passed away, there was already becoming common in Sidurim to add this paragraph of Ribbon Shalalam that I forgive all those who offended me today. So the Kafachaim says that the source for this, without getting Kabbalistic, is the Gemara in Megillah Daf Chavchet Amud Aleph. This comes from a Gemara in Megillah, and we could look at it together. It's not a very long Gemara. This is a Gemara within Benachunya Ben Hakana, which was one of the Tanaim. He was not known to be a posek, but he was known to be a great teacher. He taught a lot of the early great Tanoim. And his students asked him, how, why, why did you merit to live uh, a long life? So let's just find this Gemara together. Uh, let's share screen. No, this one. Okay. Here we go. So says the Gemara, Shalu Tamida his students asked him, With what did you uh, merit to live a long life? Amar lahem, he said to them, Right? My entire life, I never uh, uh, took veneration for my, for my fellow's indignation, meaning I would never uh, benefit from honor for myself <clears throat> if that included one of my friends be denigrated. And I didn't uh, go up to my bed with the curse of my friend. Right? And I was also very uh, loose with my money. I did not loose, but I was forgiving with my money. So the Mara explains what, what each one of them means. Uh, what, you know, what, what, what kind of behavior is this referring to? And then here, let's just get, skip a little for the sake of time. I did not go up to my bed if my friend were to be cursed. This is similar to the later Amora Marzutra, as he would go up to his bed. Apparently, back then the beds were higher up in the house. Um, so that means that he would say, I forgive all those who have caused me suffering today. So this was the idea of Amar Zutra and Mnuchuri Barakana to forgive everyone who might have offended them that day before they went to sleep. So the Achronim and the different Sfarim, they explain this concept. They say that we know, and we've studied this before from Elokai Shama, that when a person dies, a, an, a part of his soul, so to speak, returns to Shemayim. And they explain that when a person's soul is, to, if a person's soul is to return shem, to Shemayim at night, it has to join peacefully the other souls of Bnei Israel, which are already in Shemayim. And therefore, if another person's soul and his soul are not at peace with one another, 
it can cause problems with the soul either going to Shemayim or coming back down. Therefore, it's very important for a person to forgive everybody so that he could exist as a collective soul of Medei Israel and his soul could return to Shemayim properly. The Or Litzion, Cham Ben Sion, Abba Shaul, he believes that if a person actually was really wrong that day and somebody, and you really don't forgive that person, then a person should not say this. He says it's better to not say this paragraph at all. It's completely, you know, it's a recent invention. There's no need, there's no need to say this, this paragraph if you actually don't forgive somebody. And the reason for that is that it's better to not say it at all than to tell a lie. Why would you, why would you speak something which is a, a devray sheker before you go to sleep? Much better to just not say it at all and wait until you forgive the person before you could say that. I once heard somebody say that holding a grudge is like drinking poison and hoping that by drinking that poison your enemy will die. It's kind of a, a sad truth that when we hold on to grudges against people, there is, a, you know, it kind of kills us, but it does no harm to them. There's some discussion among the Rishonim as to how this Gemara can be reconciled with other Gemarot, which claim that a Tamid Chacham should not uh, forgive people if they wronged him, if they were Mavaze him. Now, it was one thing if they didn't show him Kavod, but if they were Mavaze a Tamid Chacham, then even if the Tamid Chacham is somebody who naturally would would forgive them, he should go above his call of nature and not forgive them for being Mavazahim because it's the Kavod HaTorah, it's the honor of the Torah which they are defiling, and not his honor. And therefore he should he should uh, desist from uh, forgiving them until they have shown remorse or, or done Teshuvah properly. Okay, so that's so much for the Ribbon Shalalam <coughs> section. If you look in some of the Sidurim, uh, earlier ones, if I'm not mistaken, the Chabad one too, <clears throat> there are Sidurim which also put here a Vidui. And in many of the Saradi Sidurim, it's later. But there is a Vidui uh, added to the Sidurim. Uh, I could just skip to the end here. In the Saradi version, the whole, the whole Chadgadia, right? The entire, the entire Shamnu is put here in the Kriyat Shema yet another edition. So why is this here? This is, again, based on um, the Kitve Arizal, that a person has to go to, if a person's going to, uh, if a person's soul is going to rise to heaven, it has to go without any impediment, and therefore, uh, sins could be one of those impediments, and therefore it's proper to do a Vidui before one goes to sleep. So this is in many of Sfaradi Sidurim, but it's not in many Ashkenaz Sidurim. And there's a good reason for that. The Berhetiv, one of the Ashkenaz poskim, doesn't, reme- doesn't recommend doing a vidui before sleeping because nighttime is a time of din. We typically don't do vidui at night. And if a person's going to do a vidui at night, it's a little too much. It's a little too too much uh, uh, of a teshuva thing to do at night. During the nighttime, it's a little too dangerous in his opinion. Therefore, and also, even if you look at the Sfaradi Sudrim, they say not to do it on a day when there's no tachron. So the Berhetev holds that a person should simply be mefashvesh b'masav. He should do a daily introspection of what he has done wrong that day before he goes to sleep. This is something actually that's not even from the poskim. This is something which is in the Balei Musar. Many of the Balei Musar, one of the techniques of the Musar movement was to do a daily, well really a nightly introspection of a person's actions. There are countless Musar's farm which recommend this. 
because as we all know, it, there's very few times a day, especially in busy urban environments where we are truly alone. You know, it's, it's in your bed, it's in the shower. Like when, when are you going to get really away from people and you could actually think about things and you could think about your day and you could do an introspection. So that's a good time when generally people aren't bothering you and you could stop and think about your actions that day and decide if there are things you regret and if there are things you should do tshuva on, etc. So that's something recommended uh, to do before one goes to sleep. However, the Ashkenazim don't do it verbally and the Sfaradim do. That's why you'll see that distinction between many Sidrim. I'm sure there are Ashkenaz Sidrim which have it. Uh, if I'm, I'm not going to get there yet, but I have to pull out one of the Chabad Sidrim. I have a feeling they do have it there. Okay. Now we're up to the Shema itself. And why do we say Kriyat Shema Alamita? Why do we say Kriyat Shema on our beds at night? So this all comes from a Gemara. It's not a secret. It's all based on Rabbi Shuban Levi. If you think about it, uh, we've discussed the Halachot of Arvit before, and the position of the Talmud Bavli on Tefilat Arvit is somewhat complex. The Mishnah itself never gives a position for what the correct time is to pray Arvit, uh, the correct time for saying Kriyat Shema uh, Shel Erev, the evening Kriyat Shema is dispute, disputed among the Tanaim, the correct time for praying Arvit is disputed among the Tanaim. So the whole question of what function Kriyat Shema Alamita poses falls at the nexus of this complicated discussion as to why we pray, why the minhag of many people was to pray Arvit right after Shkia. So if people were praying Arvit right after Shkia, was before Tetako Chavim, uh, typically they would not be Yotze, they would not fulfill their obligation of Kriyat Shema Shel Erev uh, of the evening because they didn't say it after Tetako Chavim. And therefore, there's different opinions in the Rishonim as to what function, even though there's Gemara about this, exactly what function the Kriyat Shema Alamita does. Is it there to fulfill your obligation for Kriyat Shema of the night, or is it there for another reason? So for that, we have to see the Gemara itself. Hopefully it shouldn't take us too long. It's not a very long Gemara, but without it, we'll be walking blind into what the source for all of this is. So let's see the Gemara together. It's at the bottom of the Daftalad Amabet. It's a pretty well-known Gemara. Amrabi Yishu ben Levi, Afal Pisha Kara Adam Kriyat Shema Bebet HaKneset. Even though a person learned said Kriyat Shema in the synagogue, Mitzvah Lekroto Amitoto, it's still a mitzvah, meaning not in the literal sense, but it is still a positive thing for a person to read it on his bed. Amrabi Yossi, uh, sorry, this the, the, according to the Geonim, this should be Amr Asi. Maikra, what is the Pasuk? Rigzu v'al techetau, Pasuk and Tilim in the beginning, right? Tremble and do not sin. Imru bilvavchem amishkavchem v'domu selah. Say it on your, uh, to your hearts while you lie down and, and be still, selah. So this is understood as levavchem, Rashi says, like it says in the Pasuk, al levavecha, al mishkavchem, as it says, b'shoch b'cha. The Pasuk says, that when we lie and when we get up, we have to say Kriyat Shema. So this is literally when we're lying down, we have to say Kriyat Shema. And that would be the source for uh, saying Kriyat Shema Alamita. It's a smach from this Pasuk that we should uh, say Kriyat Shema as we lie down. So let's just go to the next page. Uh, what was the next word? Amr of Nachman. 
Nachman says, In Tamid Chachamhu, if the person is a Torah scholar, Ein he does not need. Why doesn't he need to do it? So we're going to see Rashi. Rashi's position is that a Tamid Chacham is a person who is constantly learning, says Rashi, and therefore he doesn't have to say Kriyat Malamita, which is interesting. Okay, he's constantly learning, so he doesn't have to say it, which sounds like the only reason we're saying Kriyat Malamita is because we're trying to say Divrei Torah before we go to sleep, which is what it sounds like Rashi is saying, right? So we're saying Kriyat Malamita because we want to make sure that before we go to sleep, we, we learn some Torah. So Tamid Chacham is always learning, doesn't have to do it. Let's go a little further. Amar Abaye, Abaye says, Af Tamid Chacham No, even if Tamid Chacham has to say something. He has to say at least one pasuk of supplication, such as, In your hands I entrust my spirit. Uh, Redeem me, Hashem of truth. This is a pasuk which uh, insinuates that we're going to hand our neshama to Hashem at night. <coughs> And we were praying for us, we entrust it to him, and we're praying to him that he's going to return to us exactly as it was, right? Kel Amet, God of truth. So now let's skip a little bit down in the Gemara here to the, one of the first wide lines. Amri B'Yitzchak. Kol HaKorei Kriyat Shema Amitato Ki'ilu Ochez Cherev Shel Shtei Piyot Biyado. A person who recites Kriyat Shema Alamita, it's as if he is holding a sword of two, a double-edged sword in his hands, two, two mouths, right? A double-edged sword. Right, that they spoke uh, praises of God in their throats, and they have a cher of pifiot, a cher of a double-edged sword, in their hands. Ask the Gemara, my mashma, how do you know it's talking about kriyat shema? Marazucha, Marazucha answers, "Viti Maravashi, Marisha dinana dochtivi alzu chazidim mechavodi anu al mishkivotam." Because the pasuk before it says al mishkivotam, we know that it's talking about uh, kriyat shema. We'll go a little further. I'm sorry if I'm skipping a little. says, whoever says Kriyachima on, on his bed, uh, demons and all negative forces, run away from him. So learning Torah on, the, on, on one's bed or saying Kriyachima banishes one, banishes uh, all the negative forces. So there's many opinions here as to what in the world is going on. First of all, Rashi, at the beginning of Brachot, one of the first Rashis in Brachot, <clears throat> famously pronounces that when we say Kriyat Shema in the Shul, right, during our Vit, we're not Yotzeh with that Kriyat Shema. Instead, we say Kriyat Shema Alamita, and with that, we're Yotzeh. It sounds like Rashi believes from that Rashi that the real reason we're saying Kriyat Shema Alamita is in order to be Yotzeh, the Chiyuv of Kriyat Shema for the evening. We're not doing it because we're trying to banish demons. It sounds like Rashi holds that we're doing it in order to be Yotzei Kriyat Shema Stam. This assumption raises enormous problems, and Tosafot deals with Rashi over there. He asks from this Gemara, this Gemara sounds like it's for, it's for demons. Um, he asks from many, many different kashas on Rashi. And Tosafot holds something else, as we'll see in a second. But reconciling Rashi is difficult, because the Gemara later on also holds that we only have to say the first parasha. And if you're being Yotzei Kriyat Shema Lamita, if you're being Yotzei, the regular Chiyuv, the regular obligation of Kriyat Shema, you should say all three parashiyot. So there are many problems with that understanding of Rashi. Rashi sources his understanding from a Yerushalmi. However, there's also the Geonim on Rashi's side. And the Geonim, in the Otsar Geonim, it's, this is brought, and by a few Rishonim, they also bring this idea 
they say that the whole reason that this was instituted, that Kriyat Shema Al-Hamita was instituted, was in order for us to go to sleep with Divrei Torah. The original reason for it was to be to go to sleep with Divrei Torah. So it could be to reconcile Rashi, you'll have to say, that the original Takana was indeed to say Kriyat Shema to uh, go to sleep with saying some Torah learning before we went to sleep, and therefore we say Kriyat Shema, which is some Torah learning. But eventually, when people started davening Arvit earlier, it uh, started to play a, a dual function. That's how you might be able to answer for Rashi. I'm sorry if this is going to get a little complicated. But however, Tosafot, Rabbeinu Yonah, and many other Rishonim, Rambam, it seems like the Rambam holds this way, Riva, countless Rishonim, seem to hold, like this Gemara here, and Aleph, that... I'm just going to stop the share. That the reason why we say Kriyat Shema is simply, as Rabbi Shuban Levi said, an extra mitzvah. It's an additional thing. And it's not for the core obligation of Kriyat Shema. However, we say Kriyat Shema on our beds in order to banish away the negative forces which might pursue a person before he goes to sleep, which we'll examine in a, in a few minutes. Now, that would be why a Tamid Chacham or a Torah scholar would be exempt as Rabbeinu Yonah explains, this is because a Torah scholar is constantly studying, has the protection of the Torah, and he doesn't have to be afraid of negative forces or anything that might uh, get in his way when he goes to sleep. Now, it's possible, again, as I said, that Rashi holds like the Goanim. Getting too deeply into this is, 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 is going is to take a very long time. But it's possible Rashi holds like the Goanim. It's possible that there was machloket between the Bavli and the Rishalmi as to the function of Kriyat Shemalamita. And eventually, it's possible also that Rashi had a different girsa in the Rishalmi. It's interesting if you look in the Kolbo and their Chotchayim, they actually have like different ways of quoting people. One of them says Geonim, one of them says Vyeshomrim. So it, it stands to, it's an open question mark as to the precise reason for Kriyat Shemalamita, but the poskim overwhelmingly seem to concur that it is treated as a reshut, it is treated as an optional thing to say Kriyat Shemalamita. It's treated sort of like an obligation, but academically speaking, it is uh, not a strict obligation, and it's done in order to banish away the uh, negative forces, and that's why Tamih Chacham could even do one pasuk. You could say, uh, and, and that's enough. As long as he's saying a prayer that is, neshama goes up to shemaim unimpeded, uninhibited. That's all good. Okay. So, also, but I should mention it, it could be that Rashi, Rashi seems to make no sense. You could also say that Rashi learns that this entire sugya Rabbi Shuv Ben Levi is talking about when, when, if and only if they said kriyat at the right time, then it's an additional mitzvah. Otherwise, Rabbi Shuv Ben Levi makes no sense. What does he mean? It's a, it's an additional mitzvah. It's, it, it's the actual mitzvah. So it has to be. The Rashi needs some re- reconciliation. Okay. <sighs> to add another curveball into this, one of the problems the Rishonim have with understanding that Kriyat Shema is a real obligation or fills the place of the actual evening obligation of Kriyat Shema is that if this were the case, if this were its initial design, then this Kriyat Shema would require brachot. It would require a bracha before. It would require that we say, Why is it that the Chachamim then instituted all the brachot by Arvit? They should have put it by Kriyat Shema Lamita. 
it must be that Kriyat Shema Mita was not, the, the original design of it was not for the Chiyuv of Kriyat Shema. However, there's a curveball. And that is that according to Amram Gaon, and according to some other Geonim, there was actually a bracha prescribed by Ramram Gaon for saying Kriyat Shema Mita. Ramram Gaon says in his Sidur, and there's different versions of it, as I've mentioned, the Sidur of Amram is not so uh, uh, reliable. It says here, V'kodem kriyata, before a person says kriyat shema l'amita, yivarech, he should say a bracha, asher kedeshanu m'msota v'tzivanu l'kro et shema, l'kabel aleinu malchut shemaim shlema. In order to be b'kabel on ourselves a full, complete malchut uh, shemaim. So this is where the versions get shaky. Because if you look in the Abu Durham, or you look in other versions, it's not clear how this bracha, what the nusach is of this bracha. Is it l'kroat shema, or is it l'kroat shema l'kabel aleinu machut shemaim shlema? Like, is it one long thing, or is it an explanation? If you look in the Orchot Chaim, it clearly looks like it's an explanation. If you look in the Abu Durham, it clearly looks like it's a continuation. Let me just see if I have it open somewhere. Uh, yeah, the Abu Durham says, Asher kedeshanu s'vata v'tzivanu l'kabel aleinu ol machut shemaim u'lehamlicho b'levav shalem. That was the version the Abu Durham had. Now, the Abu Durham and the Rambam and many others reject this completely. They say, even though Ramam Gaon said it, and this was known among the Geonim that there's such a bracha, there's no place for it because the Kriyachimalamita, in their opinion, was only a reshut. It's not a proper mitzvah, it's not an official mitzvah. We don't say a bracha on something which is not an official mitzvah. If it's just there to banish, uh, for, to, to protect us from negative forces, we're not going to say a bracha for something like that. And therefore, this never remained the minhag. However, it's clear that there were many who had this minhag. And this would align with the position of Rashi that this is to fulfill the actual obligation of Kriyat Shema, of Kriyat Shema Shal Erev, or the evening recital of Kriyat Shema. Therefore, that is yet another curveball. And um, it's used, it's, it's definitely considered among the post scheme. However, the dominant minhag has become to accept this rejection, and we paskin, and we, we no longer say, nobody any longer says this bracha, we've discussed the possibility of saying this bracha, actually, uh, a long time ago by Ahavar Abba. Uh, I think this is Balatanya asked, like, why do we say Ahavar Abba? Why do we speak about Ahavat Hashem before we say Kriyat Shema? Why don't we just say I think he, actually the Rajba asks this. The Rajba has a whole explanation for why Ahar Abba is, is, uh, is the bracha before Kriyat Shema. We don't say Asher Kedisham Svetavitzivanu. Clearly the, Raj, the Rajba did not hold of such, a, of such a bracha. Okay, so as I said, that's one implication. Would one have to say a bracha? So this whole Machoket Rishonim as to what function or what the purpose was for Kriyat Shema Lamita and why, why it was instituted at all, uh, has one implication, should you say a bracha? The halacha eventually became, no, we don't say a bracha. We paskin that it's much, it's it's fundamentally a reshut. Now, this is not to say that if a person, if a person does forget to say Kriyat Shema at the right time, he can fulfill it by saying Kriyat Shema Lamita, and he would say all three parashiyot. You still would not say a bracha, though. You would only say the three parashiyot of Kriyat Shema and have in mind to be say your chiyuv, but you would not uh, you would not say any bracha before Birchat Kriyat Shema. That's the halacha. Another implication this machloket had 
is regarding women. Are women chayavot? Are they obligated to say kriyat shema If it's for protection, well, then women need it too. Uh, the Kafachaim actually points out exactly uh, how. It's interesting Kabbalistically, the surprising thing, but he says that the, the type... There are types of mazikin that men could create, and there are types of mazikin that even women can create. And he details how that works. The, really, their result, he's quoting their result in Sharkabanot. And he says that even women need to, to destroy certain types of mazikin, and therefore it's important for them to say Kriyat Shemalamita as well. However, according to the Magen Avraham, uh, he holds that Kriyat Shemalamita, and get this, is a mitzvat asei shehazman grama. He says that it is a mitzvah bound by time. Because you're only able to do it at night, therefore it's a mitzvah as my grandma and women are putter. Uh, not all of the post-game agree with this. They're, they raise an eyebrow. They, they, they basically ask on the Magen Avram, like, how is this a mitzvah as my grandma? This is only, uh, you know, first of all, it's only a, a tech could be called a birch, like a... It's not necessarily a mitzvah as my grandma simply because the... Uh, they don't agree that this is for the chiyuv. It's probably for the shmirah. And if it's a if it's a if its function is a shmirah, then then why would this be a mitzvah? So it doesn't really neatly fall into the category of mitzvah to call up mitzvah sheshesha as mangrama. There's other questions on this position, but the Magen Avram fundamentally holds that with women are exempt from saying kriyat because it's a time bound mitzvah. Okay. Another implication of this dispute as to what exactly is the reason is whether or not you can say Kriyat Shema before or after Hamapil. Now just to recap, we have three reasons. One is that it's to say Divrei Torah. The other one is it's to, fill our, it's to fulfill our obligation. And the third is to protect us from Mazikim. So if you say that the that it's to fulfill our obligation of Kriyat Shema, or it's to learn Divrei Torah, then there's no way you should be saying this after Hamapil. We should say first Kriyat Shema, and then you should say Hamapil, because Kriyat Shema would be a hefsek. Why are you, you said Hamapil, a bracha on going to sleep, and then you're, you're interrupting it with Limuta Torah, or you're interrupting it with Kriyat Shema. However, if you hold that the reason was for the Mazikin, for the demons, that to, to, to banish any demons away, then uh, it's on topic with Hamapil, which is basically a, a bracha on going to sleep and being protected, and therefore you could say it after. And that seems to be the, the position of the Rambam. However, you'll find Sidurim which do it different ways. Some will put it before Hamapil, some will put it after Hamapil, and this is for this reason. Uh, this is for this, this is the, the source for this discrepancy between the different Sidurim. Another thing I should mention is uh, the halakha of leaning, of lying down. Some of the Rishonim pose a reservation to lying down when doing this, because if you hold it's a, a real obligation, then obviously you should be sitting up when doing a mitzvah, you should be standing when doing a mitzvah, P- possibly a person's going to fall asleep in, m- in the middle of doing Kriyat But the vast majority of Rishonim understand it to be by design a tefillah which you could and should say while lying down. It says, Bishokh Bechav Kumecha, right? It says that while you lie down and when you get up, that's when when you should say Kriyat Shema. So a person can lie down and say Kriyat Shema. He doesn't have to sit up. Many Sudarim, especially the Ashkenaz ones, recommend sitting up. No, definitely sit up before you say this. 
but there's plenty of room to be make to be make heal if a person just can't you already lie down you're not having it you're not going to sit up now you're like bomb tired it's definitely okay to say kachima one when you're lying down if you didn't fulfill your obligation at all and you really have to say all three parashiot that night then it's probably more appropriate to sit up if you could before you're going to say all three because you, you know you're doing you didn't do kriyat shema that night it's not simply a, a bedtime prayer it's more of fulfilling your obligation for the evening of saying kriyat shema on that point of saying the different parashiot the gemara later we're going to see this gemara next week in uh, haroah says that the only parashiot which you have to say is the first one we only have to say that's all you have to say you don't have to say that at night that's what the Gemara says. And yet the Sidurim put in Vehaya uh, and Vayomer. Why do they do that? That's because there was a different Girsa in the Gemara, most likely, a different Girsa in the Gemara. Rabbeinu Hananel held that you had to say Vehaya too. You had to say the second paragraph too. So the Rush and others speak about this, and this was a Minhag in some places to say both. Then the Magen Avram came along and he said that you should say all three. Because if you say all three and you say Kel Melech Neman, then you have 248 words, and 248 words correspond to the 248 limbs. And the Mekubalim say that we have to have protection for all 248 limbs, both physical and spiritual, before you go to sleep. Therefore, say all three parashiot. So again, going from seven psukim and one bracha to saying 30 psukim and, and one bracha. So again, history happens. And over time, things grow from a very short prayer, which is very easy to say, to a much longer prayer, which can be much more challenging, especially if it's late at night, one one o five in the morning, and you really want to go to sleep. So you know these are these are uh, the challenges of from Jews. How much kriya shema do we want to say at night? So one last thing I'll point out, and it's a little out of scope to go too far into this, is that there is a lot, and I mean a lot of material from the Mikubalim about kriya shema lamita. So. Not only is the Arizal and Sharkavanot have a lot of material, also the Ramak before him wrote a lot of material. The Balatanya has his Mahalach, the Arizal has his Mahalach, the Ramak has his Mahalach. And Bederach Klal, typically speaking, the general way the Mikubalim treat Kriyachimalamita is, as the Gemara said, to, to destroy Mazikin. But they go much more into depth as to how that works. They speak about how those mazikin are formed, how they're created, what specifically what type of mazikin we're destroying, how they're destroyed, what klipa, this, that. They go into exceptional detail about what's happening and why. Uh, specifically, the Arizal goes into the, the sin of Shechvat Zerah Levatala, uh, and he holds that there's, Kabbalistically speaking, that's one of the most uh, severe sins, and therefore because of the type of mazikina could create, and therefore there's a special power to Kriyat to destroy those mazikin specifically. And there's all sorts of kavanot and different things to be said uh, because of that. There's Yoshev Beseter. Typically, the understanding is that a person's soul is going to go up to Shemayim at night. And if it's going to go to Shemayim, it cannot... It's a, whole, it's a piece of holiness that cannot be inhibited by negative forces. If there are going to be other negative forces that this person created, whether it's through negativity, through sin, through this and that, 
those things are going to try to attach themselves to his neshama before they go up to Shemayim, and his neshama won't be able to go up to Shemayim. The benefit for his neshama to go up to Shemayim is that it gets cleansed and that it has a purification process before it comes back down. There are those who say that the Arizal had kavanot to say before a person went to bed because there are meditations and levels of consciousness that a person could reach in his sleep the Arizal was used to say that there are secrets of the Torah that you could understand in your sleep, but you won't be able to understand if you are awake. Meaning that you could dream, you could learn Torah in dreams, or you could learn Torah in your sleeping state, which is a different level of consciousness, and understand certain secrets that you wouldn't be able to understand in your waking consciousness. So the sleep was, was a very holy idea to the Mikubalim, and it was very important that a person purified his neshama and made sure that there was no... Uh, that none of his averot of that day, none of none of the negativity that happened to him that day, or any of the you know mazikin around him, so to speak, that are trying to hurt him, whether they're virtual or 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 literal, would um, would impact him before his neshama went up to shemayim. So that's the overall coverage. If we have to look a little bit more into the Kabbalah, as we'll see soon about the Anabekoach, there's the, the Yosheh Beseter, the Vidoy, we'll have to look a little bit more into it just to, really it's a little out of scope and, you know, very advanced. So we'll try to stay a little bit surface level. Uh, but again, the reason why we'll find that there's so many additions in the Sidur is thanks to the Mikubalim over the past 500 years who did add numerous and numerous additions to the Kriyat Shema so we're going to analyze the popular ones and just explain basically how they got there. Yosheh Beseter is actually Gemara, that's not from the Mekubalim, but many of the other ones are. And so Bezrat Hashem next week, we'll cover more, maybe we'll finish it all this next week, but if we can't, then we'll have to do one more, and we'll see where we take it from there. So thank you everybody for coming, and Bezrat Hashem, we'll see you all uh, next week, and please ask me any questions if you have any.